Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast may not be suitable for young listeners. The story you're about to hear is a bonus podcast to end up season one. The first 10 episodes of the Steve Lilly Journals. The story is from a book titled Codename Wild Hunt, Operation Lily and Other Stories. A collection of short stories written by D.A. Roberts, whose author Amazon page link will be in the description of this podcast. Codename Wild Hunt. Operation Lily. 1200 hours, 14 July, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Major Clark leaned back in his desk chair and rubbed the bridge of his nose. The one part of his job with Team Odin that he didn't like was all the paperwork. After action reports, expenditure of ammunition reports, cryptid assessment reports, and incident reports for every injury. Margolin alone kept him in incident reports. The list of reports and evaluations that had to be done monthly was staggering. Clark wasn't one to procrastinate, so his paperwork was always done by the middle of the month unless there was a deployment. He had just sent his final piece of paperwork and mentally crossed his fingers that they wouldn't have anything go wrong that would add to the workload. Opening his desk, he took out a can of chew. He put in a dip and closed his eyes, letting the brief elation wash over him as it hit his bloodstream. That slight euphoric feeling was just enough to knock the edge off. It wasn't good for him, and he knew it. Hell, Amanda reminded him how bad it was every time she saw him take a dip. He consoled himself and her by saying that considering what he did for a living, the chew was the least likely thing to kill him. After all, Team Odin faced some of the nastiest creatures on the planet daily. How much worse could the occasional dip be? There was a knock at the door, and he looked up with a start. He'd been almost daydreaming, not paying attention to his surroundings. He mentally chastised himself before acknowledging the knock. He just hoped it was good news for a change. However... His gut told him that wasn't likely. Come in, he called. The door opened and Sergeant Wilder entered the room. Clark was still getting used to her new rank, but she'd earned it. Saunders was right. They couldn't run this place without her. 
Admittedly, they'd gotten off on the wrong foot, but now he valued her input as much or more than Saunders did. She kept the office running and the paperwork in order. Plus, she made sure they all got paid on time and their leave times were kept current. The real bonus was that he never had to ask for a cup of coffee. She was practically psychic with a fresh cup and she made the best cup of coffee in the entire battalion. Devereaux had tried to steal her for headquarters more than once. Do you have a second, sir? She asked. Sure, said Clark, grinning sheepishly. What's up? Well, with Lieutenant Colonel Saunders on leave, she said, that means all team actions have to run through you. Clark felt a knot forming in the pit of his stomach. The chew was starting to turn to bile in his throat. Something bad was about to be dropped in his plate. So much for having his paperwork all done for the month. Uh, yeah, he said hesitantly. What's going on? Colonel Boudreau wants you in his office, said Wilder. Something's come up and Odin is on the rotation. He said to come most ricky ticks, sir. God damn it, Levi, Clark thought. Why'd your sister pick this week to get married? Why couldn't she be as ugly as you and stay single? The thought almost made him chuckle. He'd have to tell Saunders when he got back to the base. CSM Hammond was going to love that line. Clark forced a smile and he stood up. I'll head right over, said Clark. Did he give you any indication as to why he needs me? Not really, sir, said Wilder. He did say something about you meeting with someone. Well, that doesn't bode well, said Clark. Will there be anything else, sir? asked Wilder. No, said Clark. Thank you. Wilder turned back to her desk. Clark grabbed his beret and headed for the door. He stopped long enough to knock on the office door for Command Sergeant Major Hammond. Come, grumbled the CSM Hammond. I'm heading over to HQ for a meeting, said Clark. You want to come? Sure, said Hammond. Toss me a chew and let me grab my hat. Clark chuckled as he tossed the can to CSM Hammond, who caught it without looking. After taking a large dip, he tossed the can back to Clark. All right, said Hammond. I'm ready. Levi picked a hell of a fucking time to go to a wedding. Looks like a balloon is going up for Odin. That's what it looks like, said Clark. When Levi gets back, I'm going to ask him why his sister couldn't be as ugly as he is so she could still be single. Hammond chuckled and almost swallowed his chew. Son, you ain't got a hair on your ass if you don't say that exact same thing to him, said Hammond, laughing. Twenty bucks says you won't say it. Oh, I'm going to do it, said Clark. Just get your money ready. Both men were chuckling as they exited the office. They turned left and headed directly for the headquarters building. Adjusting his beret, Clark glanced around the field. Most of Team Odom was in the exercise field. Gideon and Gregor were running them through hand-to-hand combat drills. Gideon was a master of Krav Maga, and Grey Eagle taught ground fighting with Gracie-style jiu-jitsu. Margolin affectionately referred to it as the art of folding clothes with people still inside them. Gideon and Grey Eagle are really running them through their paces today, said Hammond, spitting into the grass. We gotta keep our edge, said Clark, noting appreciatively. They're in good hands. Not breaking stride, they covered the distance to the HQ building rapidly. 
They slipped their berets off as they entered the building, and Clark nodded at Staff Sergeant Hadley behind the reception desk. Hadley stood and saluted Clark, forcing him to stop and return the salute. I believe the colonel's expecting us, said Clark. Yes, sir, said Hadley. Conference room one. Clark nodded and headed down the hallway. The door to the conference room was open, and they stepped inside, stopping beside Colonel Boudreaux and coming to attention. Snapping a crisp salute, Boudreaux returned it without standing. Have a seat, gentlemen, said Boudreaux, nodding at the table. Taking seats to the colonel's left, Clark and C.S.M. Hammond noted that there were four other people in the room besides Boudreaux. They were all wearing civilian suits, matching black with white shirts and black ties. All were men looking to be in their mid-thirties with close-cropped hair. The fourth looked to be in charge. He was in his late forties with almost no hair remaining. What was left was mostly gray. Let me introduce our guest, said Boudreaux. Names won't be necessary, said the bald man. Let's keep our names and agency out of this. If you feel the need to address me, call me Agent Blue. Clark started mentally calling them Agents Blue, Red, Green, and Purple. Blue was obviously in charge. Fucking men in black, thought Clark, trying not to grin. Fine, said Boudreaux. I doubt you gave me your real names anyway. Agent Blue smiled an odd, almost reptilian smile, then lipped and emotionless. It made Clark feel more than a little unsettled. Who the hell are these guys, he thought, glancing at Boudreaux with a questioning expression. Who you work for doesn't matter, said Boudreaux. What does matter is that you screwed up. Actually, the scope of that screw-up just might be famous in the history of bureaucratic fuck-ups, and that's saying something. I'm not sure if that's the exact term I would use, said Agent Blue. Well, countered Boudreaux, since General Dalton and SecDef went all the way to POTUS with what happened in Arizona, I think we can call it a fuck-up. POTUS fired the Secretary of the Interior over it. I'm given to understand that the ass-chewing that happened in that office was legendary. So what terminology would you prefer that we use? Lizard-faced Agent Blue licked his lips nervously and took a sip from the bottle of water on the table. I will admit that certain mistakes were made, said Agent Blue. However, we've been taking steps to rectify that. What he's trying to say, interrupted Boudreaux, looking at Clark and CSM Haven, is that they launched their own program to attempt to counter dangerous cryptids. They did what? asked Clark, suddenly concerned. Isn't that our job? It is, said Boudreaux sarcastically as he turned to face Agent Blue. Would you care to explain that, Agent Blue? We attempted to minimize the cost and public exposure, said Agent Blue. We needed to handle the situation without making the news. I would say Arizona shot that out of the water, said CSM Hammond. It wasn't our department that ordered a full airstrike on the location, said Agent Blue indignantly. No, that was us, said Boudreaux. However, it was to end a situation that your organization had been aware of for over a year without flagging it to us. 
We were unaware of the number of creatures, said Agent Blue. We thought it was a small group and therefore could be handled using our more off-the-books methods. They hire contract hunters to go in, said Boudreaux. And how does that work out for you, asked Clark. Surprisingly well, said Agent Blue. About 30% of the contractors eliminate their targets quietly and are paid in cash. They do the job without making the papers or vastly changing the southwest landscape to the point that a new topographical map needs to be made. And the other 70%, asked Clark, ignoring the barb. They are eliminated by the cryptids, said Agent Blue. That means they are unable to reveal our secret and we simply send in another team to finish the job. And if they don't come back, asked Boudreaux. We just send in another team, replied Agent Blue, his reptilian smile returning. Eventually you're going to run out of people to send, said Clark. Generally speaking, if it goes beyond two teams, said Agent Blue, we flag it and we let your team take care of it. By that time, it's far enough out of hand to warn it. We monitor movements of certain high-risk cryptid populations, and when they begin getting too close to inhabited areas, we pacify them, one way or another. And how do you monitor their movements, asked Devereaux. And more importantly, why don't you share that information with us? Quite simply put, said Agent Blue, it's none of your team's business how we track them. We pass along the information you need when it's needed. Our methods are none of your concern. It's the disappearances, said Hammond. They track disappearances in the parks and then follow them with thermal satellite. That's why the parks department won't ever share the files on disappearances within the parks with outside agencies. Agent Blue flashed a strange smile again, only nodding his head slightly at CSM Hammond. So do you keep records of the disappearances, said Devereaux. Clark sat there quietly, digesting what he was hearing. There were groups out there being paid by Agent Blue and his people to try and hunt dangerous cryptids with no training and no backup. No wonder 70% failed to complete their missions. He couldn't help but wonder who they were hiring. Professional hunters or just some dumb redneck with a gun fetish and a shitload of ammo? Hang on, said Clark, an idea popping into his head. You just lost a second team, didn't you? Boudreaux smiled and folded his arms across his chest, watching Agent Blue shift uncomfortably in his seat. Yes, they did, said Boudreaux. Shit, muttered Clark. What happened and how many people are missing? Agent Blue slid a file across the desk to Clark. I suppose it will fall to you and your team to finish this, said Agent Blue. We were tracking a group that we believe who were Type 1 Bigfoot creatures, what most people refer to as the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot type. Our initial team went in and we lost track of them within 24 hours. How many in the initial team, asked CSM Hammond. Four, said Agent Blue. Three men and one woman. So when they failed to check in, said Boudreaux, you sent in a second team? Yes, but we waited an additional 24 hours to see if they would return, said Agent Blue. When that didn't happen, we called in the second team. 
How many were on the second team? asked Devereaux. This operator usually works with two others, said Agent Blue. However, this time the others weren't available. He went in alone. Alone, said CSM Hammond, anger in his voice. You let that poor stupid bastard go in alone, knowing full well that another team had already been taken out. Let me guess, he vanished too, said Clark. We did get a report from him, said Agent Green, speaking for the first time. He was able to establish that this group was not the Type 1s. Based on his description, they were Type 3, a family group of at least 10 individuals. Type 3, snapped Clark. That's the damn Gugwe. That poor asshole is out there with a group of effing Gugwe alone? Mr. Lilly has been very effective in dealing with these creatures, said Agent Blue. We had every confidence he would be able to pull it off. Tell me something, said Devereaux. Has Mr. Lilly ever faced a Gugwe before? No, said Agent Blue. All of his previous encounters have been type 1s and 2s. So he had no idea what to expect from the Gugwe, said CSM Hammond, glaring daggers at Agent A. That poor bastard didn't stand a chance. Again, Mr. Lilly has always proven quite resourceful when dealing with these creatures, said Agent Blue. I had hoped that he would do so again. Until he vanished, said Clark, shaking his head. That's correct. That was the last we heard from him. How long ago was that, asked Clark, dreading the answer. Less than 12 hours, replied Agent Blue. We immediately began making contact with your superiors to acquire the assistance of one of your teams. That would be Team Odin, said Boudreaux. I want a cryptid assessment team in the air within an hour. With Lieutenant Colonel Saunders on leave, I'll take command of Team 1 in the field. Clark looked surprised. Don't look so shocked, Major, said Boudreaux. I was an all-father before Levi took over the team. In fact, Levi was my thunder god. Clark grinned at the use of the code names. He had never asked about Boudreaux. He had assumed that he was another career staff officer, not one that had been picked from the teams. General Dalton wants staff officers to take a more active role with the team, said Boudreaux. This is the perfect opportunity for me to get out from behind the desk. Now I want you to take that file and select your CAT team. Grab your gear and get to the airstrip. We'll have a bird standing by to take you to Texas. Are we going clandestine or open? asked Clark. Open, in full armor and gear, said Devereaux. I'll have everything cleared with the state of Texas before you hit the ground. Carry your DOD credentials just in case any local LEOs get nosy. Go in heavier than usual. You'll be without additional backup for the better part of a day. Minimum of eight, no more than a dozen. Yes, sir, said Clark, picking up the file. Where exactly are we going? It's all in the file, said Agent Blue. I can tell you that it's in the big thicket area of East Texas. In addition, I would take it as a personal favor if you were able to recover our man in the second group. He's proven quite valuable and we'd hate to lose him. The other team is expendable. However, these Type 3 creatures are getting dangerously close to a large park and campground. If they're not stopped soon, there will be likely numerous civilian casualties. 
If that happens, said Boudreaux, heads will roll in your agency. Precisely, said Agent Blue, time is of the utmost importance on this. We would also appreciate your complete discretion on this matter. The less the public finds out, the better. It always is, said Clark. I'll brief my team in the air. Who are you taking? asked Boudreaux. Gideon, Gray Eagle, Margolin, Davidson, Shield Maiden, Kodiak, and Valkyrie, said Clark. Should I take more than that? No, said Boudreaux. Your primary mission will be to attempt to locate the missing civilians. Only engage the Gugwe if you don't have a choice. If there are any survivors of the contractor teams, extract them and link up with the team when we hit the ground. Mimic units are already en route. Your destination is the Sabine National Forest, east of Hemp Hill, Texas. Well, that's swamp country, said Clark. Pack your bug spray, said Boudreaux. Locate the missing contractors, assess the situation, and engage only if necessary. We should be on site in 24 hours. Less if I have my way about it. I'll arrange for locals to brief you and your team once you hit the ground. Understood, said Clark. I'll put Murdoch in charge of Team 2 until they hit the ground. What about Vindicator and her team? asked Boudreaux. I know they're still here. They've been taken out of the rotation since they lost a big chunk of their team. They're training with us for a while, sir, said Clark, at least until their replacements arrive. Should I mobilize them, too? Take Vindicator as part of your CAT team, said Boudreaux. I think it will be good for her to work with you. She's got a lot of potential, but still has a lot to learn. Task the rest of the people to reinforce Team 2 until we rendezvous. We're considering reassigning her and what's left of Team 2, Orion, to you anyway. I need to brief you later on the plan to expand Odin to five, possibly six teams. Yes, sir, said Clark, nodding. We'd be happy to have her. I can attest to her abilities. If you decide to reassign her, she'd make a great addition to the team. I'll go grab my people and our gear. Good luck, Thunder God, said Boudreaux. Agent Blue watched Clark go without saying anything, but Clark still felt his eyes on him even when he was out in the hallway. He had no idea what agency they worked for, but Boudreaux had let it slip that they worked for the Department of the Interior. That likely meant some weird branch of the Parks Department. No wonder they don't work and play well with other agencies, muttered Clark. He slipped his beret on as he exited the HQ building and pulled his Oakleys out of his cargo pocket. Heading straight for the exercise field, he caught Gideon's eye as he approached. Okay, team, take five, shouted Gideon. Gray Eagle heard the command and repeated the order. All practice exercises came to a stop as Clark approached. I know that look, said Gideon, helping Margolin up off the ground. He'd just been put there by a smiling Valkyrie using a new takedown technique that Gideon was teaching them. She was happy with how effective it was. Margolin, however, was somewhat less enthusiastic about it, seeing as how he'd been the one who'd ended up on his back in the dirt. Listen up, folks, barked Clark. Training is done for the day. Everyone needs to prep their go bags and duty gear. I need the following people for the CAT team. 
Gideon, Gregle, Margolin, Valkyrie, Kodiak, Shield Maiden, Davidson, and Vindicator. Get your shit together and meet me in the front of the team office in 15 minutes. We're wheels up in 55 minutes. Murdoch, Team 2 is yours until you deploy. Colonel Boudreaux will brief you later. The rest of Team 2, Orion, you're now officially retasked to us for this mission. You'll report directly to Lieutenant Murdoch. Got it, boss, said Murdoch. What loadout? asked Margolin. Bring the 458 SOCOMs, said Clark. I'll keep my AA-12. We're expecting a gugwe. Fuck me, muttered Margolin. They creep me the hell out. I hate those fucking things. We all do, said Vindicator. Clark turned without saying anything else, heading for the armory at a brisk pace. Wow, he's in a bad mood, muttered Margolin. Remember when we met him, asked Gideon? His cabin had been attacked by those things. They killed his friend, damn near killed him, and they almost carried his wife off. It was that attack that made him join Team Odin in the first place. He's got more reason to hate those things than anyone else on the team. You might want to cut him some slack. Forty-five minutes later, they were all seated in the back of the V-22 Osprey, heading for Texas. Clark waited until they were at cruising altitude before unbuckling and getting to his feet. The others followed suit, and Clark gathered them around him in a circle. All right, said Clark. We're heading for the big thicket of East Texas, east of Hemp Hill. It's in the Sabine National Forest. From what I've been told, there's a group within the Department of the Interior that tries to handle cryptid problems without involving us. I guess they've been doing it for a while now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I didn't know they had their own military assets, said Gideon. Well, they don't, said Clark. They hire civilian contractors to take out problem creatures. That's a great way to get people killed, said Gray Eagle. Yes, it is, agreed Clark. They have about a 70% failure rate. Then why don't they just let us handle it, asked Valkyrie. I mean, that's why this team was formed. Because agencies within our government rarely work and play well together, said Gray Eagle, let alone share intelligence on threats. He's not wrong, said Vindicator. We have trouble getting anything useful out of the National Park Service. They stonewall us or just refuse to talk all the time. We'll see if that lasts much longer, said Clark. General Dalton's already got a hard-on for them over the debacle in Arizona. 
I mean, he got the Secretary of the Interior fired over the shit they pulled. When he reads this report, he's going to shit Constantiner wire and spit landmines. We're going to try to locate two teams that went missing. There's a total of five people. So who are we looking for? asked Margolin. Team 1 has four people, said Clark, opening the file and holding up four pictures. Meet Josiah Hampton and his brother Jacob. The red-headed guy is Mark Renfro, and the woman is Margaret Mags Henderson. The brothers were both large, dark-headed men with face and neck tattoos. Renfro was covered with what looked like meth sores. Mags was wearing a sleeveless red flannel shirt over torn jeans and combat boots. She was close to six feet tall and built like a linebacker, complete with the buzz-cut hair and a facial tattoo of a shamrock. Holy shit, snapped Margolin. I thought that was a dude. No, thank you. I've never been that drunk. Hell, I'd rather bang a Bigfoot. Didn't that almost happen on our last mission? Asked Valkyrie, smiling. Hey, that was totally different, said Margolin, grinning. Grunt Hilda might have gotten her world rocked if I'd have had a beard trimmer, some lip gloss, and a jar of raspberry preserves. What are the raspberry preserves for, asked Vindicator. You really don't want him to answer that, cautioned Valkyrie, shaking her head emphatically. Margolin just wagged his eyebrows. You'd be amazed, he said, grinning. I think I have some in my pack. I'll shoot you, replied Vindicator, acting like she was going to reach for her pistol. Oh, I'm scared, said Margolin, leaning in for a hug. Valkyrie, will you hold me? Get away from me, you idiot, she said, shoving him away and laughing. Okay, people, said Gideon, let's focus. Clark nodded at him and pulled out another photo. And this is the only guy on the second team, said Clark. His name is Steve Lilly. He's a contractor out of Memphis, Tennessee. Who'd he piss off to get sent in alone, asked Margolin. Well, from what I've told, he usually works with a team, said Clark. The others weren't available, and he went in alone. He didn't know they were Gugwe, did he, asked Valkyrie. No, he did not, said Clark. And as far as we know, he didn't know what they were capable of. He might have assumed they were just like the other types. Well, that's bad intel, said Gideon. Whoever sent him in needs to be punched in the face. With a fucking brick, said Margolin. When we hit the ground, said Clark, we'll be met by some locals who will direct us to where we will start tracking the missing teams. Our primary objective is to locate survivors, if any. We're not to engage the Gugwe unless we don't have a choice. However, having said that, intel indicates there are ten in this group. Should we get the chance, we might just end this little expedition before the rest of the team hits the ground. Hua? Hua! shouted the group. I have some other news, Clark said, looking at Vindicator. Is it bad? she asked, looking worried. I can see how you might take it that way, said Clark. It's not official yet, but Asgard is considering reassigning you and the remainder of Team 2, Orion, to us. That would move you to the international team. Vindicator seemed to consider it for a moment. I'm in, she said. I know it's kind of a step down, but I like working with you and your team. Also, we'd get to go to a lot more places. I can handle it, even if it means I'm not a team leader anymore. I don't know, said Clark. 
If they assign all of you to me, then you'd be my XO. You outrank my current one. Okay, said Vindicator. I guess we'll see if Asgard decides to make it official. Oh, I see, said Margolin. Bring in some new people, but I still don't get a code name. I'm going to be stuck with Huntsman 2-6 forever. Clark just shook his head. Don't worry, Margolin, said Clark. I put in the paperwork to move you into a different position on the team. If Boudreaux approves it, I'll be changing your designation soon. To what? asked Margolin. Can we make his code name Dumbass? asked Valkyrie. It kind of suits him. Everyone chuckled. Don't worry, said Clark, grinning at Margolin. I'll come up with a good name. Okay, people, said Gideon. Equipment check. I want everything gone over before we hit the ground. Everyone began double-checking their gear and weapons. Clark put away the file and did a quick check and inventory of his equipment. By the time they had gone over everything, the pilot was indicating that they were on final approach to their target zone. Gear up, shouted Clark. We're on the deck in two minutes. Rapidly, the team adjusted their armor and shouldered their packs. Weapons were adjusted in place, and soon they were all giving each other the thumbs up. They felt the Osprey slow down and heard the whine of the gears as the rotors began to shift for landing. Get ready, shouted Clark over the roar of the aircraft. Seconds later, the Osprey touched down and the ramp started lowering. The first thing that Clark noticed was the humidity. Missouri is humid, but this was almost like a jungle. Worse, it was swamp country and that meant the mosquito dactyls were out in force. I suggest you all use the bug spray, said Gideon. Welcome to the East Texas Swamp. Why am I f***ing craving gumbo now, muttered Margolin, shrugging his pack to its place. Oh, even better, a big bowl of red beans and rice with that spicy sausage in it. We're in Texas, not Louisiana, you moron, said Valkyrie, grinning. It's the swamp, replied Margolin with a wink. Makes me think of Cajun food. I like it spicy. The last line was delivered with a luxurious grin at Valkyrie. In your dreams, dumbass, she said laughing. Clark was the first one down the ramp. The ground was solid, but he could smell the fetid waters of the nearby swamp. As soon as they cleared the aircraft, it began to increase the throttle and left off. Clark stepped out to the side and gave the pilot a thumbs up. The ramp began to lift and soon the Osprey was climbing into the sky. Shifting the rotors, they banked and headed back towards base. The aircraft engine sound faded. Clark turned and saw two large four-wheel drive trucks pulling into the grass and heading for them. The sound of the Osprey had masked their approach. Both trucks drove through the open field and came to a stop. Clark was surprised to see the vehicles and noticed that they both were marked with the logo of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. The light bars were subdued and hidden in the grills of the dark green trucks. Glancing around, Clark saw they were near a large lake. The clearing they'd landed in was a parking lot for a boat launch. It looked to be attached to a large camping area, but it seemed to be deserted. Clark nodded and the team began fanning out, checking their immediate surroundings for any signs of gugwe tracks. 
The two men exited their trucks and headed towards the group. They looked to be in their early 30s. Both wore the tan uniform of the Texas game wardens. There were large caliber revolvers strapped in holsters on their right hips. Clark recognized one as a Ruger Super Redhawk 44 Magnum. The other was a Smith & Wesson Model 500 and 500 Magnum. That struck Clark as unusual since most departments issued a Glock. Texas was a different world. Which one of y'all's Clark? asked the man with the Smith & Wesson. His name tag read Bowie. That's me, said Clark. Y'all can call me Matches, he said, extending his hand. Clark took it and shook it firmly. Matches, said Clark. Good to meet you. Why do they call you Matches? It's a nickname from when I was a kid, said Matches. I like to play with fire. My daddy whipped my ass when I set the barn on fire with a book of matches. My mom started calling me that and it stuck. Now I damn near don't recognize my own Christian name. The only one who ever calls me Bridger is my mama when she's pissed. This here's my brother, Jedediah. Don't call him Jed. He hates that. Well, those are certainly unique names, said Vindicator. Our daddy loves the history of the Old West, said Matches. Jedediah is named after Jedediah Smith, and I'm named Bridger after Jim Bridger. According to family lore, we're related to Jim Bowie, who was killed at the Alamo. I take it you know why we're here, said Clark. We've got a pretty good idea, said Matches. We were told to meet you here at the Indian Mounds campground. I know this has something to do with the missing people. I'm pretty sure it's a dangerous animal. With a team like yours, I wonder what kind of beast is out there. You folks always go around this heavily armed? Are the campgrounds usually this empty? Asked Clark, ignoring the question. Matches spoke up. State troopers went in yesterday and closed it down. Kicked out all the campers. Said something about illegal marijuana grows, but that's just a cover story. They don't want to go public with the missing people. Well, we should get moving, said Clark. Once you show us where they started in the woods, you and your brother can get the hell out of the area and don't stop for anything. What's going on in that thicket? Asked Matches, looking into the dark woods. Probably best that we don't answer that, said Clark. Just take it on faith that this isn't good, and you need to finish with us and get clear. Matches gave Clark a measured look, considering his words. I reckon they wouldn't send a group like yours armed to the teeth if it was just a damn bear, said Matches. You say it's bad? I'll take your word. Let's get loaded up. It ain't far. Are we driving? asked Clark. No, said Matches. All of them were camping in this campground when they vanished. I'll take you to their campsites and you can start your track there. If you need a tracker, both Jedediah and I are pretty good at it. I believe I can handle the tracking, said Gray Eagle, nodding gravely. Thank you for the offer. Gray Eagle has tracked people and animals on five continents, said Clark, grinning. He's our team expert. Well, just thought we'd offer, said Matches sounding a little disappointed. It's appreciated, said Clark. If you can just point us to their campsites, we'll get moving. Matches nodded and handed Clark a folded map of the campground. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They're marked on here, he said. Are you sure you don't want us to stick around? I appreciate it, sir, said Clark. I really do. The problem is, this is bigger than I can tell you. For your own safety, you need to be out of this area before the sun goes down. Don't worry about us. We've done this sort of thing before. The two wardens returned to their vehicles, giving the group an odd look before getting into their trucks and leaving. Clark watched them back out of the field and then turned down the road that led out of the campground. Do you really think they're going to leave? asked Valkyrie. I hope they do, said Clark. We're not going to be hanging around here for long. If they're here after dark, I don't think they'll make it out again. That's doubtful, sir, said Valkyrie. Well, let's get moving, said Clark. We're burning daylight. Using the map of the park, they were able to locate the two campsites easily. They were only a few spaces apart. They'd both pick spaces at the back of the campground where they could slip into the woods without being noticed. And that's where Clark would have picked if he'd been hunting here. Clark took out his set of lock picks and he approached the first trailer. He opened the door only to discover it was a pigsty. It reeked of stale cigarette smoke, dirty clothes, and something vaguely chemical. Clark didn't need to examine it any further. Motioning for everyone to clear away, he shut the door and backed up from the camper, and he locked it again. That smells like meth, said Clark, shaking his head. How would you know that? asked Margolin. I was a cop before I joined the team, remember? said Clark. It's in my first meth lab. I'm guessing that this mystery group doesn't do much of a background check on their contractors, said Valkyrie. I'd say they don't, said Clark. It seems like the only qualification they have is that they're experienced at hunting and they are expendable. Think we're going to find any of them alive? asked Gideon. It's doubtful, said Clark. Let's go check the other trailer. Heading towards the second trailer, Clark could see differences immediately. For one, this trailer was well-maintained. Once he picked the lock and stepped inside... Clark saw that it was clean and there were no signs of drug use. Things were organized and there was a small deep freeze where the table normally sat in trailers like this. I bet they have to bring in proof of their kills, muttered Clark. Either hands or heads, I'd bet. Hey, boss, said Margolin. I think this guy had a canoe or a kayak. There's an empty rack for one on the back of the trailer. Smart, muttered Clark. This one's different from the other morons. I kind of hope we find this guy alive. Stepping back outside, Clark shut and locked the camper. 
Turning back, he gestured for Gray Eagle to come over to him. Gray Eagle nodded and glanced back toward the trees before slowly approaching. I think we're being watched, said Gray Eagle, keeping his voice low. Which direction? asked Clark, forcing himself not to look around. The trees directly behind me, said Gray Eagle. Is it Gugwe? asked Clark. I think so, said Gray Eagle. It approached from downwind. I didn't smell it, but it's got our scent. I doubt there's anything else it could be. You think we can flush it out? asked Clark. We can either take it out or track it back to the others, suggested Gray Eagle. I have a feeling that finding them won't be the problem, said Clark. If we can get a shot, take that bastard out. I'm going to try to flank it, said Gray Eagle. I'll have Kodiak go the other direction. If either of us gets a shot, we'll engage. Go, whispered Clark. Turning back to the others, Clark made a show of pulling them into a group while Gray Eagle and Kodiak slipped away into the campground. There were enough trees, bushes, and shaded areas where they were able to vanish easily. Listen up, said Clark as they assembled, and then lowering his voice, he started bringing them up to speed. No one make any sudden movements or looks around, he began. We've got company. There's a possible gugwe in the trees just to the north. Don't look in that direction or draw attention to it. Gray Eagle and Kodiak are trying to flank it. If they drive it our way, we'll take it out. If it goes towards either of them, they'll take it out. Everyone lock and load, but do it quietly. Weapons were prepared and safeties were clicked off. All right, said Clark. We fan out and head toward the trees on my command. Hua? Hua, replied the team. Let's move, he said. Immediately, they turned and fanned out, bringing their weapons to the ready position. They began heading directly towards the trees. There was a rustling in the bushes, and then three rounds were fired from one of the four fifty-eight SOCOM rifles. Gray Eagle had taken the shot. If it had been Kodiak, they would have heard the minigun unload on the beast. Move in, shouted Clark. The team advanced rapidly, entering the trees and finding Gray Eagle crouched over a dead gugwe. Kodiak was watching the area for others. It's a juvenile male, said Gray Eagle, probably out hunting on its own. One down, said Clark. I'll tag the position and the team can deal with it when they get here. Copy that, said Gray Eagle. Clark activated his wrist computer and punched in the information, and then he grabbed his mic. Thunder God to Asgard Control, he said. Go ahead, said a female voice. Cat team is deploying, said Clark. We've engaged one hostile creature and confirmed the kill. The subject is marked in the computer with a GPS tag. We're beginning our tracking of the missing subjects. Over. Asgard control copies, Thunder God, said the voice. Good luck and good hunting. Asgard, out. Nodding at the team, Clark pointed at the trees. Gregel, you've got points, said Clark. Let's find us some missing hunters. As Gray Eagle took point and began moving deeper into the trees, Clark assigned their positions in the patrol. Margolin was behind Gray Eagle, with Vindicator behind him. Kodiak and Gideon brought up the rear, with Valkyrie, Shield Maiden, 
Davidson, and Clark in the middle. Clark marked their position with his wrist computer and established a GPS track. No matter how deep in the swamp they went, they'd be able to find their way back without an issue so long as the wrist computer wasn't broken. He thought about it for a moment before taking out his lensatic compass and making a paper backup just in case. Gray Eagle set a brisk pace, avoiding the worst of the marshy areas. There were numerous times when they spotted large alligators swimming by in the murky water. A few were large enough to cause concern. Even Gray Eagle, in wolf form, would have had his hands full with a 12-foot alligator. Clark watched as one particularly large specimen slid into the water about 50 feet away, barely causing a ripple as it slipped into the stagnant water. That's good to know, muttered Clark. Those things can be damn sneaky when they want to be. Valkyrie looked at Clark and started to say something when Margolin grabbed her by the arm and yanked her to the right. He tossed her right into Clark, who had to grab hold of her to keep her from splashing into a pool of foul-smelling water. What the fuck? snapped Valkyrie angrily. She froze when she saw Margolin snatching a cottonmouth from a low-hanging branch. She would have walked right into it had he not grabbed her. Margolin grabbed the snake right behind its head and pulled it out of the tree. Reaching into his belt, he drew his gunner's mate knife and severed the snake's head with one savage flick of the wrist. Anybody want some snake for dinner? asked Margolin, grinning. I used to eat those bastards all the time when I was in ranger school. They're really not that bad. Valkyrie locked eyes with Margolin for a moment. Thank you, she said. That would have bitten me right in the face. Don't worry about it, said Margolin. You've covered my ass quite a few times. Just remember, half the shit in a swamp wants to kill you. Can't let your guard down. Tossing the snake into the water, it was almost immediately snapped up by a six-foot alligator that had been hiding just below the surface of the water. Nasty bastards, muttered Margolin. Even those little fuckers will take a chunk out of you. Turning back to the trail, Margolin continued moving along behind Gray Eagle. Valkyrie watched him for a moment before resuming her place in the line. Clark kicked the still-biting head of the snake into the water as they moved off. Watch your step, whispered Vindicator. Some of this ground isn't as solid as it looks. Two hours passed and they were moving deeper and deeper into the swamp with each passing minute. Clark glanced up and knew that they didn't have much daylight left. He couldn't see the sun directly due to the thick foliage, but he could tell that it was low in the sky. The sounds of night insects were beginning to pick up. Checking his wrist computer, he noted that they were less than an hour from official sundown. However, the sky was turning overcast and it looked like they might have rain before long. From the feeling in the air, it was likely a storm. Consulting the computer, Clark found that they were due for a thunderstorm that was likely to last all night. They were going to have to find shelter soon. Even the gear they'd brought with them would only provide so much relief from a storm. Glancing up, he saw Gray Eagle go still. 
He held his left hand up with his palm facing back towards them, indicating that they all needed to stop immediately. The team reacted and went to their knees, crouching low and listening for the threat. Greg will crouch behind a large bush and glance back at Clark, motioning him forward. Clark began picking his way quietly to Gray Eagle's position. When he was next to him, Gray Eagle locked eyes with him and held up a finger over his mouth. Whatever he had seen, he didn't want it to hear them. Peering through the brush, Clark saw an old swamper's cabin. It was solidly built and had boards nailed over the windows. There were three Gugwe positioned around the cabin, waiting for whoever was inside to come out to them. From the claw marks on the door, walls, and window frames, it was obvious that they tried to get inside and failed. Gray Eagle tapped Clark on the shoulder and pointed at the Gugwe that was on the left side of the cabin. Clark took out his binoculars to get a better look. Zooming in on the creature, at first he didn't notice anything unusual about the beast. And when it turned to look at one of the others, Clark saw it and froze. It was missing its left arm. A memory flashed through his mind, and he envisioned the siege on his cabin when the Gugwe had tried to kill him and Amanda. He'd shot one in the arm as it had tried to get in through the bedroom window. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The massive 458 SOCOM round had blown the arm off just below the elbow. This creature was missing the same arm in the same spot. Well, fuck me, whispered Clark. It's the same fucking troop. He remembered that night in the cabin outside Kimberling City, and they had no idea how many creatures had been in the troop, but they had killed nearly a dozen. The rest fled when the wild hunt showed up at his door. Only the big alpha that he'd severely wounded had remained behind to try and kill him before it died. The wound had festered and turned septic, and it was dying anyway. Clark had rightly assumed that it had been deposed as the Alpha for the troop. Now they had just found the rest of them. I thought it was odd that it was missing an arm, whispered Gray Eagle. Then I remembered reading the file about when your cabin was attacked. I figured it was likely that the beast had lost the arm in that fight. If it's the same group, whispered Clark, then they're confirmed man-eaters. There's no way they're backing down. We have to eliminate every one of them this time. Who do you think is in the cabin? asked Gray Eagle. I don't know, but there's only one way to find out. Motioning for Valkyrie to move up, he indicated which target he wanted her to take out. Then he pointed at the one he wanted Gray Eagle to take. Bringing up his AA-12, Clark aimed at the one with the missing arm. It was only fitting he finished the job that his wife had started over a year ago. On three, whispered Clark. Three, two, one. Three rounds broke the stillness of the night, and three targets crumpled to the ground. Clark had hit the beast in the back of the head, punching through the skull without resistance. Valkyrie had shot hers in the left eye, 
exploding the back of the beast's head and emptying the contents like a macabre pinata. Gray Eagle hit his in the throat. Getting to his feet, he walked over to the creature to look in the face as it died. The beast looked at him with rage in its fading eyes. Gray Eagle noticed a crude necklace around the beast's neck. Once it had gone limp, he grabbed the necklace and yanked it free. It was attached with a crude thong made from animal sinew. Attached to the thing was a rough-hewn pouch. Opening it, Gregel found it contained some human teeth, a piece of cloth, a shiny rock, a casing from a bullet, and some hair. It was a medicine pouch. Major, said Gregel gravely, you should see this. Clark came over and examined the contents of the pouch that Gray Eagle had placed on the ground. Well, what is it? asked Clark. It's a medicine pouch, said Gray Eagle. Okay, said Clark. I understand that's something significant, but I'm not sure how. It means that one of the Gugwe is a shaman, explained Gray Eagle, and that makes this situation far more dangerous. I've only read about a Gugwe being a shaman once before and that was an account my grandfather recorded back in the 1950s. Thunder rolled across the bayou, rumbling around the darkening sky like the echoes of an angry god. Lightning flashed to the south, and they could feel the air begin to cool as the humidity changed. It's about to storm, said Gray Eagle. Then I guess y'all best get inside, said a voice from the cabin. Clark turned and saw a man from the picture in the file. Steve Lilly? asked Clark. Yes, sir, said Lilly. It's fixing a storm. Y'all should get inside, especially before the rest of those goddamn things come back. You heard the man, said Clark. Let's get inside. How many of these ugly bastards have y'all killed? asked Lilly. Four so far, said Clark. Well, if y'all don't mind, said Lily, I'd like the head so them some bitches who sent me up here have to pay me. I'm perfectly okay with that, sir, said Clark. As everyone ducked inside, Lily looked at Clark and held out his hand. Steve Lily's my name, he said. Major Daniel Clark, said Clark. Call me Clark. Everyone else does. Well, no offense, but who the fuck are you people? asked Lily. Well, that's a long story, said Clark. We were called in to locate you and the other missing team. Well, I can solve that mystery for you, said Lily. One's in the bed in the back room. She's hurt pretty bad. The other two are dead. I saw those things tear their heads off and eat them like a goddamn apple. I've got a medic, said Clark, nodding at Shield Maiden. Go take a look at the wounded, please. You got it, boss, said Shield Maiden, grabbing her kit and heading into the other room. Once everyone was inside, Lily dropped two crossbars back into place, securing the heavy wooden door. I found this place yesterday. I was tracking these nasty sons of bitches and found the first team. They were trying to get back to where they tied their boat up. These things were smart. They sank the boat and dropped the big rock into my canoe. Damn near drowned my ass. We tried to fight our way clear, but they surrounded us. We fought our way here, and before we could get inside, those things tore the heads off the other two guys. I never even got their names. I helped the woman in here, but she's hurt pretty damn bad. I did what I could, but she needs a doctor. 
There were originally four members of the other team, said Clark. They must have already lost one before you found them. These things are not like any other squatch I've ever tracked, said Lily. These things are pure mean. Nasty sons of bitches, I'm telling you. Well, they're called Gugwe, said Clark. It means face eater. We've encountered them before. All I can say is, they better pay me extra on this one, said Lily, because these things ain't like no squatch I've ever even heard of before. I need to check in with my superior, said Clark. I'll let them know we found survivors and sent an extraction chopper to get you out of here. There ain't no way, said Lily. You can get the woman to a hospital, but I ain't leaving without a sack of heads. Any idea how many of them are out there, asked Clark. If y'all kill four, said Lily, then I think there's still about a dozen of them left. Well, that's not good news, said Clark. Boss, interrupted Margolin. What's up, asked Clark. I checked the cabin out, he said. We're in good shape. There's running water. It's an old hand pump with a wash basin in the kitchen, but it looks clean. The windows are all boarded up and the doors are both heavily barred. Whoever built this place intended to keep something nasty out. I think we can hold it. Good, said Clark. Thanks. I think those damn things could get in if they really wanted to, said Lily. I think they're waiting us out. They knew we couldn't escape. I could hear them talking ghibli on the porch. They seemed like they was making plans and wasn't in a hurry. What the hell is ghibli? asked Margolin. You know, said Lily, whenever those things talk, It's not like when we talk. It's just Ghibli. You know, it's words. They don't make no sense. Ghibli. Margolin looked at Lily with a big grin. Fucking hell, I like that word. I'm going to use it. Clark shook his head and stepped away. Activating his radio, he spoke into the mic. Thunderguard to Asgard Control, he said. Static answered him. And outside, thunder rolled across the sky, and it was punctuated by a massive crack. They could see the bright light through the cracks through the door and the window. Lightning had struck just outside. The resulting thunder shook the cabin and caused the dirt to filter down from the roof. Seconds later, large raindrops could be heard impacting the corrugated metal of the roof. Thunder guard to Asgard control, said Clark Do you read? Over. More static crackle from the radio. Clark made a sour face and then activated the radio for the third time. Thunder God to any call station. Do you copy? Over. Looks like the storm's knocked out your radios, said Lily. The storm shouldn't affect these, said Clark. They're tempested and encrypted on the secure short-range satellite uplink. They shouldn't be affected by outside electronic interference. Something else is going on. Checking his wrist computer, Clark found that it was offline as well. Taking out his cell phone, he found that it was off too. The battery had been completely drained. Something weird is going on, said Clark, glancing at his phone. It's the Gugwe Shaman, said Gray Eagle. They're doing this. How the hell would they even know what a radio is, asked Clark. I find it hard to believe they'd know to block radio signals. They're smart, said Gray Eagle, but I don't think that was the intent. I think it's more of an isolation thing. 
They're blocking out anything that we might use against them. They know that some of our weapons are what they could consider magic, so they're trying to counter our magic. Looks like we're all in this to the end then, said Lily. Clark motioned for Greg or to follow him away from Lily. Do you think you and Kodiak could shift and punch through them to get a radio signal out? Greg looked at Clark for a long moment before speaking. Not with Gugwe, said Greg. If we had the other type of Bigfoot here, we could take them on. But I don't think Kodiak and I could win with just the two of us. We'd likely be ripped apart before we could get clear. I think these Gugwe creatures were the same thing they wrote about in the epic poem Beowulf, said Davidson. I always believed they were the wood woes or something similar. Now that I've seen these things, I can see why they describe the creatures as cannibals. It fits the profile of these creatures better than the other types of the Bigfoot creatures that we've encountered. That's an interesting theory, said Clark. When you think of the novel by Michael Crichton called Eaters of the Dead, it makes more sense when you look at the descriptions of the Grendel, too. Precisely, agreed Davidson. However, this theory does come with a few notable issues. Grendel was described as a descendant of Cain. That would certainly make the creatures more than just animals. It would make them some type of Nephilim. That's not a thought I want to examine too closely, said Clark. It is completely possible, said Gideon, shrugging. I was afraid you were going to say that, said Clark. Hey, folks, said Lily. I hate to interrupt your little powwow, but we got a bigger fish to fry than figuring out where these nasty things came from. Like how to keep them some bitches from getting in here with us. I'm pretty sure they haven't busted through the walls because they didn't want to. That might have changed since y'all killed a few of them. Well, what do you suggest, Mr. Lilly? asked Clark. Honestly, I think funnel them into a single point of entry and start taking them out. I think if we put a few more of them down, the rest might not be so froggy. That's not going to work, said Clark. We can't let any of them escape. Our biggest problem is going to be the shaman, said Gregel. If we don't find a way to neutralize it, they're just going to keep coming. There's a crawl space in this cabin, said Lily. Above the porch is a vent. It's too small for one of them to get through, but a good shooter might be able to use it. Snipe that bitch before they get too close. How do I know which one of these is the shaman, asked Valkyrie. You give me a target, and I will neutralize it. Is she your best shooter? asked Lily. She's everybody's best shooter, answered Clark. I'd put her up against any shooter you can name. Well, thanks for the vote of confidence, boss, said Valkyrie grinning. But the record is held by the Canadian shooter from Joint Task Force 2. 3,540 meters confirmed kill. I've never shot that far before. A Canadian? asked Clark. We can't let that stand. When we get back to base, we're going rifle shopping. You're getting an upgrade. I know just the guy to call to get it, too. Valkyrie grinned. Look for the one with some kind of headdress or large necklace, said Gray Eagle. It will stand out from the others, and it will also be the one the others defer to. You should feel the difference when you see it. If I know my Gugwe lore... It should also be a female. 
Well, that sounds easy enough, said Valkyrie. No sweat. You're only going to get one shot, said Gray Eagle. Once it realizes where you're shooting from, it won't get anywhere near you again. If we engage, said Clark, I want you to ignore the fight unless we're about to be overrun. Hold your fire until the shaman shows up. Got it, boss, said Valkyrie, heading for the ladder that led to the small loft. Clark waited until she was up in the loft before turning back to the others. What about just running for it, Clark asked Gray Eagle. Think you could outdistance them without fighting? Maybe, said Gray Eagle, if I knew a direction that I wouldn't have to fight through. If we're surrounded, that won't be possible. Well, you're crazy if you go out there, said Lily. Ain't no way you're outrunning those things. Clark nodded in agreement not wanting to give away Gray Eagle's secret to this newcomer. Hey, boss, said Shield Maiden, approaching slowly. Clark could see her removing bloody gloves and a dark look on her face. Well, what's the status of the injured civilian? asked Clark. Not good, said Shield Maiden. She's lost a lot of blood. I've got an IV running a unit of synthetic blood. That's a stopgap measure at best. A little gauze and some izzies are about all that's keeping her intestines inside. She suffered some serious internal injuries. She needs a trauma surgeon, and the sooner the better. Well, can you keep her alive? asked Clark. Yeah, said Shield Maiden, but not indefinitely. If she doesn't get to a trauma surgeon in the next 12 hours at the most, she's going to die. If she takes a turn for the worst, it could be a hell of a lot less. Well, that certainly speeds up the timetable, said Clark. One of those things slashed her across the stomach, said Lily. I cleaned it out and wrapped it as best as I could. Well, you saved her life, said Shield Maiden. While it wasn't ideal, she would have bled out hours ago without your help. Lily just grinned sheepishly and shrugged. Well, that ain't no big deal, he said humbly. She'd likely have done the same for me. From what I've read of her file, said Clark, she wouldn't have. You're a good man, Steve Lilly. Hell, ain't none of that matters if we don't get the fuck out of here. Them nasty bitches have got this place surrounded. We've got to figure out a way to punch through or she's going to die, said Shield Maiden. Even if we could just call in a medevac chopper. Well, that's not a good idea, said Clark. We know these things are smart enough to take down a chopper. These damn devil squatches are really starting to piss me off, said Lily. Devil isn't far from wrong, agreed Gideon. The Gugwe are bigger, smarter, stronger, and faster than your average Bigfoot. Although they're not as near as bad as the Wendigo. What the hell do you mean, Wendigo? asked Lily. You mean them sumbitches are real too? There's a lot of things out there that you haven't heard or seen, said Clark. This crazy trip just keeps getting better and better, said Lily in a surly tone. Boss, called Valkyrie. Something's going on out there. Clark hurried to the door where there was a small opening in the boards on the window where he could see through. The storm was getting worse, trees swaying in the gale force winds. He was about to move back from the door when the movement caught his eye. Leaning against the wall, trying to get a better look, Clark said, 
Are those wolves? They're on all fours, said Valkyrie, but they're the biggest wolves I've ever seen. Well, how many do you see? asked Clark. At least a dozen, replied Valkyrie. I think they're dogmen. What the hell? snapped Margolin. I thought Gugwe and dogmen hated each other. It's the shaman, called Grey Eagle. It's summoning other creatures to fight for them. How's that even possible? shouted Margolin. What the hell? What's next? Are they going to call in a vampire next? Y'all are living a way more screwed up life than I am, said Lily, shaking his head. Vampires? Oh my God, I'm going to need a bigger gun. Everybody calm down, snapped Clark. We've been in worse. No offense, boss, said Margolin, chuckling. But if we keep dropping ordinance on these things, people are going to notice. Clark leaned back against the top of the old brown couch and took out his can of chew. Putting in a large dip, he tossed it to Margolin. After taking a large pinch, Margolin was surprised when Lily took the can and put a good-sized pinch in his lip. Helps me think, said Clark, taking the can back and tucking it into his cargo pocket. After a moment, Clark turned and looked at Grey Eagle. Is there anything you can do to keep these things out? asked Clark. Gray Eagle frowned for a moment before answering. I'm not a shaman, said Gray Eagle softly, but I think I know how to perform a blessing way. I've done it enough times over the years to know it, but coming from me, it won't stop that thing out there. It's too powerful. If Grandfather were here, he could. Maybe Jason or Winter, but not me. Boss, cried Valkyrie again. Whatever we're going to do, we need to hurry. I think they're going to smash their way inside. That shaman is going to use those dogmen as cannon fodder, said Margolin. Maybe I can be of some use, said Davidson, drawing his sword. Clark noticed the sword seemed to softly glow with a radiance all its own. He noticed it in the battle in the ravine back in Arizona but convinced himself it had been a trick of the light. Everyone grew silent as Davidson strode to the center of the room. Even Margolin just stared in quiet awe at the calm radiating from Davidson. Turning the sword over, Davidson placed the tip gently on the floor and then gripped the hilt with both hands as he knelt before it. Bowing his head, he pressed his forehead against the cross piece and softly he began speaking. He was praying in Latin. Only Gideon seemed unsurprised. Quietly, Gideon translated as Davidson prayed. Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Stand brave and upright that the Lord may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it means your death. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my arms for battle who prepares my hands for war. His is my love, my fortress. His is my stronghold, my savior, my shield, and my place of refuge. Amen. As the final word echoed around the silent room, a soft hum emanated from the sword, filling the room in soft blue light. The hum pulsated softly and then grew louder. And when the light flashed, Everyone turned their head because they were unable to look directly at the sword 
Clark peeked between his fingers for just a moment, and it looked like Davidson's eyes were glowing with the same blue light. Outside, they heard the creatures shriek as they were forced to back away from the cabin. That should hold them for a while, said Davidson, carefully putting away the sword. How did you do that? asked Clark. I did nothing, sir, said Davidson. The power's not mine, but comes from the faith and the prayer. It's a prayer from the Knights Templar, said Gideon. It's been a very long time since I've heard it, especially in Latin. You certainly know your prayers, sir, acknowledged Davidson. Gideon looked at Davidson strangely, squinting his eyes. Davidson met his gaze for a moment and then produced an old Galway briar pipe. He tapped it against his hip, then took out a leather pouch containing the pipe tobacco. He casually filled the bowl and then returned the pouch to his pocket. Striking a wooden match against his boot, he lit the pipe and drew a deep pull. Puffing his lips, he exhaled a cloud of bluish smoke that seemed to hang in the air, defying gravity. Nice pipe, said Gideon. Thank you, said Davidson. It's a bad habit, I know. It's my only true vice. What? asked Margolin. You don't drink? Now, lad, said Davidson, grinning as he blew a large smoke ring. A good whiskey is no vice. Only drinking to excess is a sin. Whiskey is the Celt's greatest gift to the world. The word whiskey is derived from Gaelic words that mean water of life. Well, that's good to know, said Margolin, grinning. Where'd you get that pipe? It looks old. It's an antique, said Davidson. I bought it in a little shop in Dublin a long time ago. I've carried it since my first tour with one para. I thought you were with the Special Reconnaissance Regiment, asked Gideon. I was, said Davidson, but I didn't start my career there. Six years with one para before my transfer. Well, how long is this going to buy us, asked Clark. It all depends on how strong their shaman is, replied Davidson. In theory, this should be consecrated ground. It will not be easy to force through that. I think it's safe to assume it's powerful, said Grey Eagle. We should consider adding a shaman to our cat teams. Winter should be an excellent addition. I think you might be on to something, said Clark. I'll make that happen for the next mission. Hey, not to interrupt there, boys, said Lily, but we got to survive this one before you start planning the next one. All right, folks, said Clark. We're going to find a way to punch through this. We've got a short timetable to get the wounded woman to a doctor. Any suggestions? Uh, boss, called Valkyrie, you might want to check out what's going on at your nine o'clock. Heading for the narrow gap in the window, Clark heard it before he saw it. There was a massive roar, but it wasn't a gugwi or a dogman. It was an engine. Leaning so he could see farther, Clark saw a massive airboat coming roaring out of the swamp, scattering creatures in its wake. What was more surprising was who it was in it. it was Matches Bowie was driving, and his brother Jedediah was at the front of the boat with a long rifle. When it went off, Clark heard the massive report over the sound of the engine. Instantly, a gugwi's head exploded, and it crumpled to the ground. 
That's a Sharps Buffalo rifle, said Gray Eagle. I'd know that sound anywhere. The airboat shot through the line of creatures and headed directly for the front of the cabin. Get the wounded, roared Clark. We're getting out of here. Instantly, the team sprang into action, grabbing gear and getting ready to board the boat. Margolin helped shield Maiden with the wounded and brought her to the door. Ready, screamed Shield Maiden as Valkyrie dropped to the floor from the loft. Clark noticed that Lily didn't have a weapon and handed him his AA-12 and pack. There's enough ammo in there to keep you busy, said Clark. Lily nodded, accepted the rifle, and Clark drew his Guncrafter Industries Glock 50 GI and his big-bladed bounty. The runes etched in the blade seemed to shine in the light of the cabin. Ready, roared Clark. The airboat slid sideways and came to a stop right in front of the cabin. The creatures were already recovering and headed for them. Throwing the door of the cabin open, Clark stepped out first and began selecting his targets. Kodiak stepped beside Clark and the whine of the many guns barrels spooled up. Gray Eagle and Gideon took up a firing position on the other side of the porch while the others began loading into the airboat. Clark glanced at the boat as Kodiak's minigun began spitting death into the advancing line of creatures. It only took Clark a moment to realize that they weren't all going to fit in the boat. Get the wounded in and get moving, roared Clark. We won't all fit. I'm staying, said Valkyrie. Get in the damn boat, roared Clark. There's enough room for all of us except three or four. I'm staying. Me too, said Lily, cracking off a burst with the AE-12 and taking a massive gugweed down with a hole in its chest the size of a cantaloupe. Clark stopped shooting and began pushing people into the boat. Vindicator tried to resist, but Clark was stronger. You're in command, he snapped. Get them out of here and call in the rest of the team. Vindicator nodded grimly, but said nothing. Go, shouted Clark. Gray Eagle, Kodiak, and Lily didn't move. Clark met Gideon's gaze and jerked his head toward the boat. Get your ass in that boat, Sergeant Major, said Clark. Get your spear and come back for the shaman. Reluctantly, Gideon got into the boat. Now go, shouted Clark to Matches. Matches locked eyes with Clark and nodded as he powered up the airboat. As it began to pull away, Margolin threw his rifle to Clark and tossed his pack full of ammo onto the porch. Then the airboat shot back towards the swamp. Putting away his pistol and blade, Clark brought up his big 458 SOCOM and began taking careful shots at creatures that got too close to the airboat. As the boat was rocketing towards the swamp, the big female shaman stepped into the clear and began chanting some strange incantation, raising her hands into the air. She wore a necklace made of what looked like human bones and a mask made from the skull of an elk, complete with horns. Clark tried to get a shot, but she was too close to the boat. Damn, muttered Clark. Lily stepped beside Clark and emptied the rest of the magazine of the AA-12 into the face of a dogman who had gotten almost into killing range on Clark. Thanks, Clark said, nodding. Time seemed to slow as Clark watched something intense happening. 
As the airboat grew close to the shaman, Davidson grabbed the branch of a tree as he jumped from the boat, drawing his sword in midair. The momentum swung him directly towards the shaman, who was too busy with the incantation to prevent the attack. Davidson hit the ground and slashed downward with the glowing sword, shattering the mask and severing the beast's left arm at the shoulder joint. Roaring in pain, the beast fell back, fountaining blood into the air. The airboat rocketed into the swamp and quickly vanished through the trees. Clark dropped to one knee and put a burst of rounds into the gugwe that was racing up behind Lily. The beast fell into the muddy soil, plowed a furrow that stopped just a few feet from where Steve Lilly stood. Well, I tell you, those are some nasty sons of bitches, aren't they? Called Lilly, reloading the AA-12 and chambering the next round. We need to kill every one of them, every one of them. Agreed, said Clark, nodding. Putting their backs to each other, they went back to taking out targets. I hope you guys don't mind if I grab all these heads when we're done. I don't want them, said Clark. They're all yours. If we survive this, I'm going to find Agent Blue and I'm going to punch him square in the mouth. I think I can arrange that for you, said Clark. Across the field, a shaman gugwe lurched back from Davidson. It raised its head and began snorting an odd shrieking call. Instantly, three of the gugwe turned and headed for her. Get to Davidson, Clark screamed at Kodiak. Kodiak released the minigun and yanked his armor free, dropping it all to the ground. With a roar, he began transforming. What the hell? yelled Lily. I'll explain later, replied Clark. He's on our side. You guys are some strange ones, that's all I've got to say, but as long as he's on our side, I'm okay with it. Before the Gugwe could respond, Davidson flashed in closer to the shaman and slashed across her midsection, spilling her intestines out onto the ground. As the beast dropped to her knees, Davidson spun and lopped her head off with one powerful slice. As the beast's head fell away from her shoulders, Clark felt the air pressure change. The storm seemed to lessen instantly. The dogmen stopped attacking Clark's people and shook their heads. It took them a moment before they realized what was happening. Once they got their bearings, the largest of them barked out a command and they turned on the gugwe, slashing into them with sheer rage and ferocity. When going in one-on-one, the Gugwe were easily crushed by the dogmen, but when two or more focused on one target, the Gugwe didn't stand a chance. Kill them all, roared Lily. Just as the first Gugwe was reaching for Davidson, Kodiak slammed into the beast with the force of a freight train at full speed. The Gugwe never saw it coming as the gigantic bear form of Kodiak began ripping into it, tearing the head off and tossing it aside. Davidson deftly stepped to the side, slicing the throat of another beast that sailed past him. The third creature turned to run away, and Clark put a bullet into its head, dropping it before it could reach the trees. Woo! Nice shot, said Lily. The fighting raged on for what felt like forever. Clark was burning through the magazines for the SOCOM rapidly. 
but for every creature he dropped, another one took its place. They were rapidly running through their ammo supply and not running out of targets. I'm on my last drum, shouted Lily. I'm almost out of ammo. More and more of the creatures kept emerging from the woods, forcing them to pull back. Soon, Clark, Lily, Davidson, and Gregel and Kodiak were forming a circle. Kodiak bellowed a roar at the approaching Gugwe. There weren't any of the dogmen remaining. More than a dozen of the massive Gugwe lay dead or dying, with at least as many still on their feet. Gray Eagle dropped his rifle when it clicked empty on its last magazine. Taking a stance, he snarled in the face of an advancing Gugwe, dropping his armor and beginning to shift into his wolf form. Clark dropped his empty rifle and drew his 50 GI Glock and his bounty. They were surrounded and cut off from the house. I've got an idea, said Lily. Cover me. Before Clark could answer, Lily broke and ran for the front of the cabin. Clark began firing headshots with the 50 GI, trying to keep the creatures from grabbing Lily and ripping him apart. He kept pace behind Lily just to his left. Glancing over, Clark saw Davidson doing the same thing on the right. They were both using their long blades to force the creatures back enough to punch a hole for Lily. I hope he knows what he's doing, roared Clark. Driving past the Gugwe, Lily slid onto the porch of the cabin. Clark had expected him to run inside to get to safety, but smiled when he saw the actual plan. Lily jumped to the right and landed where Kodiak had dropped the minigun. Scooping it up, Lily toggled the electric motor and spooled up the barrels. All right, you ugly son of a bitches, roared Lily. Payback is a bitch. The rumble of the minigun erupted like a primal roar of an enraged dragon, spewing fiery death into the crowd. Lily walked the fire back and forth, wiping out six Gugwe in a single pass. The others turned to run, while Kodiak took one to the ground, ripping into it. Grey Eagle, now fully transformed, launched atop two of the fleeing beasts and began ripping into them with a savage fury. The four remaining Gugwe thought they were going to make it to relative safety of the swamp when a sudden furious volley of fire ripped into them, shredding them before they made it to the first tree. Clark looked astonished in that direction until his radio crackled to life. All father to thunder god, said Boudreaux. Thanks for saving a few for us. Team one, Odin, is here. Over. Behind him, Clark could hear the barrels of the minigun still spinning, but it had run out of ammo. Turning, he looked at Lily, who was grinning like a madman on the porch with the minigun glowing red hot. As the whine of the barrels slowed to a stop, the glow began to slowly fade. Hell yeah, yelled Lily. I gotta get me one of these. Thunder God to all, Father, said Clark. Your timing is impeccable. Over. Kodiak and Gregor walked over to Clark. They were both bleeding from numerous cuts and slashes, but seemed otherwise unharmed. The wounds were already healing. Man, you guys sure know how to throw a party, said Lily, putting the gun down on the porch. Clark stared at him for a long moment before approaching him. Mr. Lily, he began. You just call me Steve, said Lily. All right then, Steve, said Clark. 
I seriously underestimated you. You'd make a hell of an addition to the team if you ever chose to. Clark reached to the shoulder of his uniform and removed the Wild Hunt patch with the Team Odin rocker and handed it to Lily. Here, said Clark, you earned these. Okay, so what happens next? asked Lily. First, we'll have a cleanup team come in and remove the bodies for incineration, said Clark. What about them heads? Don't worry about that, said Clark. You'll be leaving here with more heads than you can carry on your own. I'll make sure of that. Well, I sure appreciate that, said Steve Lilly, grinning. Clark took out a small nylon case he kept in his left cargo pocket. Unzipping it, he took out a contact card. It read simply, Major Daniel Clark, Executive Officer, Team Odin, 417-555-1515. It also had the same logo that was on the patch the deer skull with the antlers inside a circle with the words Team Odin at the bottom. Well, what's this for? asked Lily. If you ever want a position with Team Odin, said Clark, we might just have a spot for you. How much do you pay for each head? asked Lily, tucking the card back into his pocket. I'm afraid we don't pay for those, said Clark, but the backup and benefits are much better. Well, I'll keep that in mind, said Lily but I think I like getting paid better. Thank you, though. Have it your way, Steve, said Clark, holding out his hand. They shook hands firmly, and then Clark turned to go speak with Boudreaux and arrange for Lily to collect the heads. Lily took the card out of his pocket and held it beside the patch, looking at them side by side. He had to admit there was a certain temptation to the offer. Working with Team Odin would let him hunt in places he'd never seen before. Also, he'd have to deal with creatures he'd never even believed existed. Well, that would be a dumbass move, muttered Lily, putting the patch and the card back in his pocket. I think I'll just keep the squatches, because these things are crazy. Lily watched as the cleanup teams began rolling in, dragging the dead creatures onto the cargo nets and wrapping them up. A large double-rotor helicopter known as a Chinook landed and lowered the ramp. The nets would then be hooked up to a thick rope and then winched into the back of the helicopter. This process was repeated until the chopper had roughly six of the creatures on board, and then it would lift off. It would be immediately replaced by another chopper, and the process would start all over again. An amphibious APC came rolling up out of the swamp and parked. A man in a clean uniform and holding a clipboard spotted Lily and approached him. He smiled as he approached and looked friendly enough. Mr. Lily, I presume, said the man. His name tag read Pratchett. Yes, sir, said Lily. I'm here to take you back to your vehicle and camper, said Pratchett. What about my squatch heads, asked Lily. Those should be waiting for you when we arrive, said Pratchett, grinning. Major Clark made certain it was being taken care of. Well, all right, that sounds good. Climbing into the APC, he was directed to a seat. Pratchett handed him a bottle of water and a bag with a couple of sandwiches in it. They're just ham and cheese, said Pratchett. Sorry, we didn't pack much in the way of food that isn't an MRE. Oh, I've eaten worse, said Lily, taking a drink and then digging out a sandwich. 
The big engine began to rumble, and Lily felt it turning back and slipping into the stagnant swamp water. Half an hour later, he felt it rolling back up onto the solid ground, and then the APC door opened at the back of the vehicle, and Pratchett led him out onto the grass. Lily looked around and he saw his campsite, exactly like he had left it. On behalf of the team, said Pratchett, we'd like to thank you for your assistance. Well, you can thank me by getting me my squatches, muttered Lily. I believe you'll find them in the trailer, said Pratchett. Best of luck to you, Mr. Lily. Pratchett didn't wait for an acknowledgement. He boarded the APC and the ramp began closing. Lily headed for his trailer and unlocked the door. Instantly, the cool air of the air conditioner washed over him. He noticed that there were four large black duffel bags placed inside the freezer. There was a note on top. Picking it up, he noticed it was from Clark. It read, Dear Steve, in these bags are the head of 19 of the Gugwe. We didn't include the dog men because I doubt Agent Blue will pay you for them anyway. There would have been more, but some were obliterated by gunfire and were keeping the shaman's head to study it for differences. 19 should still net you a good payday. Be careful and watch your back. Agent Blue is not to be trusted. By the way, I owe you a drink or six. Meet me in 48 hours at Steve's Pub and Grub outside the south gate of Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and they're on me. Hope to see you there. Signed, Clark. Well, damn, that is going to be a nice payday, Steve Lilly muttered to himself. 48 hours later, Lilly opened the door to the bar and walked inside. It wasn't hard to find, but it was in the middle of nowhere. And for a moment, he wondered how it managed to stay in business until he noticed all the weird things on the wall that could only have come from Team Odin. Once he entered the dining area, he saw that there had to be at least 60 members of Team Odin here. He recognized a few of the faces. Locating Clark at the far end of the bar, he headed over and took the stool beside him. I'm glad you could make it, said Clark, motioning to the man behind the counter. What can I get for you, asked Steve, the bartender. Steve Munroda, said Clark, grinning. Meet Steve Lilly. We met him on our last mission. Well, it's nice to meet you, said Steve, holding out his hand. Lily took it and smiled. If he's buying, I'm drinking, said Lily, grinning broadly. I'm drinking Guinness, said Clark. Well, that sounds good to me, said Lily. Set him up, said Clark, and keep him coming. Two large plates of shepherd's pie, too. I got you, said the bartender. Nice place, said Lily, looking around. Well, we like it, said Clark. I have a present for you. Clark took out a manila envelope and dropped it in front of him. What is this? asked Lily. I already told you I'm not giving up the money I get from Squatch hunting. No, it's nothing like that, Clark assured him. It's still photos from when we had the after-action debriefing. Agent Blue was there, and I made you a promise. Lily grinned as he took out the pictures. They showed a meeting room, and Clark was approaching an unofficial-looking man in a black suit. It looked like Clark was going to shake his hand, until the third picture when he struck Agent Blue in the mouth with a haymaker, knocking him out cold. 
The next two pictures were of Clark walking out with a big smile on his face. I hope you didn't get in trouble for that, said Lily. Don't worry, said Clark. My boss thought it was hilarious. Agent Blue demanded that I be arrested, but Colonel Boudreaux has my back. He told Agent Blue that he deserved it and more. I don't think I made many friends, though. Yeah, I don't bet you did, said Lily, laughing. You knocked him the hell out. They're just bureaucrats, said Clark. They always have glass jaws. Both men chuckled as they drank their dark stouts and dug into the steaming plate of shepherd's pie. This is damn good, said Lily, stuffing another bite into his mouth. Best I've ever had, said Clark. After they had eaten and drank several beers, Clark stood up and headed for the beautiful piano in the corner. Lily watched as he sat down and cracked his knuckles. After a moment, he began playing. Lily was astounded by how well Clark played. The man had real talent, yet here he was leading a group of military squatch hunters. What a group of guys, thought Lily, glancing around. The guy called Margolin stood up and walked over to the tall blonde they called Valkyrie. He just held out his hand and said nothing. And after a moment, she took it, and they began to dance slowly to the music. Good for you, said Lily, lifting his glass. I have something for you, Mr. Lily, said Gideon, approaching with something wrapped in a cloth. Well, what's that, Lily said, frowning. It's kind of a tradition on the teens said Gideon. Everyone gets one after their first mission. I know you're not joining the team, but you certainly earned it. We used to give a gladius to everyone, but we changed it recently. Lily took the bundle and unwrapped the cloth. Inside was a blade and a kydex sheath. It's called the Bounty, said Gideon. It's by a company called Scallywag Tactical. We get them in bulk. Our team shaman etched it with the same runes we put on ours. It will work against dogmen, wendigo, or even certain types of vampires. Well, thank you, said Lily, but I hope to God I don't run into any of those things. Well, I hope so as well, said Gideon. A good journey to you, Mr. Lily. It was an honor meeting you. Lily reached out to shake Gideon's hand and was surprised when Gideon grasped his forearm in a warrior's embrace. He held him there for a moment and then released the grip and walked away. Like I said, muttered Lily, these are some weird some bitches on this team. Turning back to the bar, he nodded at Steve. Can I get another plate of that pie and a pitcher of that Guinness? You sure can, said Steve, grinning and heading for the kitchen. Yeah, they're weird, whispered Lily, but I kind of like these guys. Later, as Lily staggered to the trailer that was still behind his pickup, he saw the members of Team Odin heading back to the base. For a moment, part of him wished he was going with them. Then he remembered the gigantic bag of cash that Agent Blue had left for him when they picked up those bags of the Squatch Heads. There'd be a bonus because they were Gugwe. Yeah, slurred Lily. I'll stick with the money. Ducking inside the trailer, he fell face first onto the bed and was asleep almost instantly. As his snores filled the air, he didn't hear the door to his trailer open. Clark slipped inside and located the laptop that Steve used to contact Agent Blue. 
Inserting a thumb drive into the port, he quickly uploaded a tracking program. He felt a slight pang of remorse that he had to deceive Steve Lilly, but they had to get a foothold into Agent Blue's operation. Clark reminded himself that in doing so, they could help protect Lilly from being left to die again as Agent Blue did to everyone when things went bad. Thank you, Steve Lilly, whispered Clark. Be careful, man. You really have no idea what's out there. <laughs> 